Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales both on and off the felt. That's right, it's time for another edition of Poker Stories, brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority. I want to start out by giving a huge thanks to everyone who went out and subscribed, downloaded, rated, or reviewed our podcast on iTunes. In the first week alone, we had listeners from all over the world, including places like Spain, the Netherlands, Australia, Germany, Israel, uh, where else? Norway, Thailand, South Africa, even Singapore. Uh, That's great, guys, and we really appreciate the support. Today's episode features Brian Rast, uh, who let me into his Las Vegas mansion, uh, gave me some beer, and then opened up about his life as a poker pro. Brian is one of the best all-around players, and he currently sits in 10th place on the all-time tournament earnings list with $18.7 million. He won the Super High Roller Bowl in 2015 for $7.5 million. And he also won the 50K Poker Players Championship twice in 2011 and 2016. And on top of all of that, he also plays in some of the biggest cash games in the world. Oh, and Brian is also an owner and operator of the WSOP School of Poker and 3-Bet Poker Clothing. So this was a big get for the show. Uh, So without further ado, here's my conversation with Brian Rast. So how you been though? Like you've been, uh, you've been okay. Family yeah. good. Holidays yeah. were fun. Uh, holidays we were down in Mexico. Okay. Um, families, they're doing well. Uh, he's finishing up the eighth grade. Loving soccer. That's his like major focus for our son. And you know we're talking about maybe having a baby this year. And. Uh, this could be a big year. Yeah, in the I mean, Rast we, household. We moved out to this house, and you know we're getting it set up. You know the goal ultimately is like this is a good house to like entertain. I mean, obviously this whole central area with the thing, and we're gonna do that. So, you know, we we kind of want to get a little bit of a community thing going on in Las Vegas. Like Brazilian style barbecues are called churrascos. We just get have people over, and and uh, you know. So feels like a lot of a lot of little things are getting set up, and and beyond that, I mean, I I feel pretty good. I, you know, I've been doing a ten minute meditation for a week now. It was recommended to me by a couple people. First, like Dan Smith, but other people, and like I think this is great. Actually, maybe you see this little thing next to you right here. I just okay. bought this because this was recommended by Elliot Rowe, and uh, this is like a a tool to, like basically assist it like keeps track of your brain patterns while you're meditating and then uh so it tracks what you're thinking not what but just like how often you're you're like disturbed or like regular or like calm oh okay so you can see if you're actually shutting your brain down yeah you can see like how much of that you're actually doing so you know it's something this is like something that i'm starting to explore a little bit i mean so you put that on for like 10 minutes a day and you're just like how? This I've only had for two days. Okay. Yeah, the, the, just the ten-minute meditation I've been doing for like a week, but but yeah. So. So what uh, method do you use to like clear the head? Well, I mean, in I my just, brain, I just feel like I'm thinking about nothing. I'm well, I've been doing nothing. Headspace, 
which is like this thing and it's kind of like a guided that's trying to teach you principles. Okay. So really it's not like just 10 minutes of sitting there. Although this, when I've done the five minutes on this, it's pretty much just sitting there. Although it has like musical cues to let you know which of the states you're in. So okay. when you're like calm or disturbed or whatever. And so, um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I even feel, I feel like since I've started doing it, I've, I've felt like a little bit more focused. I mean, I think like one of the issues I tend to have, um, are we, is this actually going or? Yeah, we're going, I, oh, it's interesting okay. to me. I don't care. One, one of the issues I have a little bit as a poker player is like, I mean, my life is really kind of like unfocused. Mm-hmm. It's not like I have, you know, like, like the set job and all those like parameters. You don't have the nine to five. Yeah. So kind of sometimes it's like if I have these to-do lists and whatever, it can be pretty easy for me sometimes to say, well, I'm feeling lazy. You know, that this type of stuff isn't really that important. This is my like earn power when I'm playing. What I'm just going to like put this stuff off. But um, I feel like I can have times when I get pretty unproductive. So I, I think... Uh, because you don't have a boss to say, go to work. Yeah, you and just sometimes... You don't have telling you when to get up. Or even just like I'm used to having a pretty unstructured life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things outside of my job can feel a little bit unimportant. But um, I'll say like the meditation practice has helped me like fo- can focus on other things. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's been a number of things. I mean, I, I, I do, I work with Elliot Rowe some and that's helped. But just in general, the, the act kind of meditating, clearing your mind, and then afterwards thinking about things you want to do, talking with someone about things like that, which is what I end up doing with Elliot Rowe mm-hmm. occasionally in hypnotherapy. It's not always just about poker. Really? Like, yeah, those, those kind of things have helped me a lot. Um, I mean, the hypnotherapy, not just in poker, but just like in my life to be a little bit more focused. Because, uh-huh. I mean, I still feel good when I'm getting things done, checked off my to-do list, whether they're for the family or for me or, you know, I mean, just like being more active, you know, going to the gym, yeah. you know, just whatever it is. I mean, there's just a, a lot of things. And I, I find that, you know, it is true that time is short and it's hard to have enough, but on the same token, oftentimes, uh, you know, we end up wasting a lot of time too. So, and I'm not saying I always waste it on things that are totally, completely unproductive. I mean, like yeah. I'll watch YouTube videos that are educational and go down a little two-hour YouTube hole learning yeah. things. I'll get sidetracked <laughs> playing some chess, or I'll be doing things that are using my brain in some way. But, but I this think this keeps you focused. Yeah, I think sometimes having a way of organizing my thoughts a little bit and thinking, oh, how much of that do I want to be doing versus, you know, I have these things that are building up. I need to be spending some time on those. I, I want to, I feel like I've gained a couple of pounds or I'm a little out of shape or whatever. And, and so, I don't know. It's like a constant process of uh, self-betterment. But do you I feel like you were scattered before? Sometimes. Or it your attention depends. moved too quickly from one thing to the next? I think it kind of depends on when, you know, I, I go through, uh, I think before it's like I go, you know, go through periods where I'm kind of good at stuff and times where I'm not so good and my attention is scattered and I move on from one thing to the next. Well, let's go back to, to Poway. What, what was yeah. Poway like growing up in Poway, California? Poway was Poway. 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 I screw that up every time. Poway people. <laughs> uh, no, it's, 
it's um it was nice i mean it's like a suburb mm-hmm. just like a big suburb basically i mean uh it was outside of san diego so, so southern california mm-hmm. good weather um as a kid there i don't know my i have good memories like my life was good it was stable I mean, I pretty much, when we moved there when I was nine, just lived there through high school. I mean, my parents were still basically there. I mean, mm-hmm. my mom, I mean, they have the same house. So, uh, it's, it's like a, it's, it's a nice spot. I mean, I think if you didn't have a family, you'd probably feel like maybe it was a little boring. Okay. But... But your family kept it interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, growing up, I, you know, I was a kid, so it was great for me. There was, you know, friends, like, things to do. What were um, you into? We know you were smart because you got into Stanford, so you yeah. were obviously keeping up with your grades. But, like, uh, what did little Brian Rask get, get into? I mean, I liked, I liked playing sports. I was never really good, but I was, like, okay. I was probably... I was I almost made our, our our high school had like three thousand kids, so the sports were pretty. That's a big high school. Yeah, and I was one of the last two people cut. I I tried the hardest to make the basketball team in my sophomore year. You're a pretty and tall I, guy, though. Yeah, and I, I was actually pretty good. I was one of the last two people cut, and that year in the rec basketball league, I was actually the highest scorer. Okay. So I was like a, I was like was a pretty good basketball player. Uh, you know, beyond that, I was involved in other school activities like the speech and debate team was probably one of the biggest ones, but stuff like quiz bowl, it's like where, you know, it's like five on five and you buzz in and if you get it right, then you get another question. I remember, uh, I remember yeah, I was, I was in the national, captain. I was in the national honor society. Okay. So, uh, that's where they chose the pool of quiz bowl, uh, team members. And one day they happened to be scraping the bottom of the barrel and needed me to sub in. Yeah, and I'm, I believe uh, we almost got swept on oh, every no. single question at the quiz bowl that day. That's the only question yeah. I got right, and I still remember this: was they asked who invented basketball. Of course, I said James A. Naismith. Yeah, Naismith. And the other team didn't know it, and that was our only point of the entire competition. That's what I'm talking about. Cheers, cheers to Naismith. Basketball's <laughs> it's my favorite sport. Right here. There you go. Uh, yeah, no, I did that. I mean, I, w- I was the captain my senior year. We actually went to the city championships. We were pretty In good. the quiz bowl, not basketball. In the quiz bowl, yes, not <laughs> basketball. That would, have been, that would have been cooler. I would have liked that more. But I wasn't good enough at basketball for that. So, um, uh, but we, we lost. But um, no fault of your own, I'm sure. You know, it was good. We we did pretty good. You know, yeah. made it made it pretty far. You know, it's good <laughs> enough. Uh, I have no. I don't actually even remember what happened in that match. Um, I what else? I actually do have a weird, a little odd, like ego boost memory from yeah. the match before the finals. Okay, we played some well, other you came team. Up, well, you came through in the clutch. I think like Tory Pines, and well, it's it's. I had a good match. Mm-hmm. Like I got a lot of the entrance like quiz buzzins before whatever and and uh like one of the ladies of uh, moms on um, someone from the other team after the match said like oh wow you were excellent like what college are you going to and i was like <laughs> oh thank you on stanford she's like wow awesome just <laughs> i for some reason i i remember that it just stood out to me in part because like i, I did have a really good match at time no i mean i i was a uh, 
academically, I, if I really think about my, what I did in high school, it was pretty, pretty impressive. I mean, I did that. I, I went to state championships in speech and debate. Uh, the two years that I did it, I only did it my junior and senior so year. So you're very persuasive. I think I am a pretty persuasive arguer. You got me to drink a beer, but when I, I just did. got here, yes. <laughs> but see, you're liking it though. I, I do it for like your own it. Interest. I do like it. Our producer Eric is going to be very proud that I'm drinking Chimay instead of my usual. Oh no, the red Chimay. Tell him it's the red one. That's my favorite. The, the red Chimay. Yes. Uh, you so know, okay, so you're obviously. But beyond that, like sports yeah. and vi- I like video games. Okay. I wasn't a big TV watcher. Okay. TV was boring for me a little, but uh, I played video games. A lot, of, most of the video games I played were a lot of strategy games. Well, what, 35, 36? 35, yes. Yeah, 35, so. so I'm trying to picture what, what even TV was like for you in high school. I think X-Files? Okay. That Beavis was one and show Butthead I watched maybe? a little bit. What? Beavis and Butthead? I think that, that was era? on. I watched occasionally, <laughs> but I mean, not... Like I really just didn't. I really didn't watch that much TV, uh, so it's hard for me to say. Yeah. I mean, was it because your parents were just like, no, no TV, Brian? No. Put your nose in a book. My deal was like, I, I was a pretty self-motivated kid. My parents didn't have to get on me. Okay. I, pretty much just did my work. I chose to go in like the honors AP route, and and their deal was kind of like, well, if I do my work and I get good grades, then you know, I can kind of like do what I want with my time. You know, there'd be some times when if I'd come home from school and maybe I hadn't started working at some point, I would get prompted like, hey, you know, maybe stop playing the video game or maybe start, you know, but it wasn't like... N64. Yes. GoldenEye. See? GoldenEye was... Uh, at least yeah. I've clocked the, the, the right system. Yeah. No, and Super <laughs> Nintendo, I was a Nintendo, so Super Nintendo, but by high school it was more like N64. Yeah. So, and it was, you know, I actually lived close to our high school, so friends would walk back. Like, my school was like a hangout. My mom would, like, bring us all snacks. And we'd, like, do homework, <laughs> do homework and play video games. High school, like, when people look back and were like, oh, when were, like, the good years? Yeah. For me, it was more high school than, than college. Yeah, Stanford is just awful. <laughs> I mean, it was like, okay, whatever, you know? I mean, I was kind of not academically motivated well you said you well. were very self-motivated in high school yes. so what happened what happened that when you got to stanford where it all because you what did you uh, you majored in uh in math right yeah yeah i did i wish i had picked philosophy actually really? might have actually got a degree i think if i did philosophy i think well the problem when i first went to high school it was a mixture of i remember early like early in my freshman year i was like depressed because i just broke up with my high school girlfriend Oh, your she freshman just broke, year she Actually, she just broke up with me. Okay. And then... Uh, you can remember it however you want. And then... Uh, <laughs> and then I was like... Went down a counter-strike. Just, wait, have you talked to her recently? Did she regret her decision? No, have you I looked haven't. Her up? I haven't, I haven't talked, talked to her. Uh, I, I don't know. You and know I would never Googled ask her you. that question. You know she Googled you. Um, Number 10 on the all-time <laughs> tournament earnings list. <laughs> You know, I have no idea what she's thinking. I, I, I wish her all the best, you know? <laughs> Hope she's... I, I'm pretty sure last I heard, like, so years ago, she was married to someone. And so, you know, I hope she still is and everything's good. Um, I mean, you know, like... At the time, I was upset about it. Mm-hmm. You know, especially some of the way the things shook out without getting into specifics. But, like... 
I mean, you know, we were 18 or 19. Sometimes you're just not supposed to be with that person. You kind of, yeah. you know, I'm old now. I realize that and it's all good, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, I've broken up with someone too. So, you know, sometimes it's just the time to move on. Yeah. In, in reality, it, um, you know, I had already kind of also moved to, you know, you start to realize after like I had kind of already moved on from yeah. things too. And well, so you were a freshman and she was, she had gone to a different school or something. Yeah, she was going to Berkeley and I was going to Stanford, so we mm -hmm. thought maybe it would continue. But, you know, like that summer, I decided to go to like a couple raves. Uh-huh. <laughs> I did ecstasy. You know, those were things that she didn't really like. She was like, that was a little out there. I was, you know, maybe making my own choices in certain things. And, <laughs> I, you know, it was, that's, that's just the way it goes. But Linda, I'm a freshman in college. I have to experiment. <laughs> Her name wasn't Linda, was it? No. Okay. So wait, I gotta ask you, Stanford. What like did you ever look at any like ridiculously tough classes? Because people I mean, think Stanford, they think, oh my gosh, you know that's hard. That's that's a tough degree to get. You know, it's weird because Stanford was really like the time of my life where I was like the least motivated to learn. Okay. I mean, really, recently I just I love learning. I'm like subscribed to. Science YouTube channels like I'm gonna shout out some of them right now like PBS Space Time, which they just talk about like cosmological topics. It's like very in like a pretty in depth manner. PBS has a new one, Infinite Series. They talk about math stuff. Like I'm basically like a full on totally cool with it nerd. Yeah. Okay. Like I love learning. I love learning about things. Like at the gym today where I was for like 30 minutes, I listened to some like biology YouTube videos. The guy was talking about. You know how what the current scientific thought about how life de like evolved from nothing, like some of the ideas. What are the latest? You thoughts? know, so it was the no, the thought was the the well the, one video was about how cooperation between like uh, you know DNA and then like the mitochondria and the cell like becoming because they they found out whatever fifty years ago that mitochondria were like other organisms that basically became like part of the cell and. Than like a cooperative environment and then how you know i mean our body itself is like a cooperative environment of like trillions of cells that are all alive and separate but you know are now functioning to make us like some kind of multicellular organism yeah you know so it was just about like some of those stages and and then there was another video that was talking about certain you know that they're, they're thinking that <laughs> chemical processes that was that was my dog chemical <laughs> processes she's bored she was like, oh no, he's talking about science again. <laughs> you know, the life came to be from inorganic, you know, materials combining and, and how some of that so might have So you geek out. You geek out. I am. Geek out on a lot of topics. And in fact, a problem I, I have had throughout my poker career is poker has gotten boring to me mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to learn this anymore. And when I feel like, I mean as good as I play poker and you know, as much time as I have over 14 years put into it, if I put even more from time to time, I could play even better. And you know, I realize that and you know, that does have an impact perhaps, but uh, um, then again, you're probably good enough. Other stuff. You're probably good enough right now to game select for the rest of your career. Meh. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, the problem is that I feel like I've kind of reached a point where I don't really have that many like good games that are I'm not getting like called to go play in, in private games. Yeah. You know, like the uh, ultimate compliment. You're not allowed to play here. So, yeah, I, 
I mean, there's a bunch of games in LA and I know a bunch of people are playing them and, you know, I'm not getting like the call to like, hey, come play in our nice private game. So, you know, the public poker sector is just every year getting more competitive as mm -hmm. like tools are coming out. Now there's tools to like study the game theory optimal way to play. And actually about a year ago, um, I kind of started to get into some of that more and I have been. Spending more, <laughs> have been spending more of my time. I've been spending more of my time uh, refocusing on learning poker, both uh, no limit hold'em through a more like GTO approach of learning, using okay. like software and stuff, and then um, mixed games and not with programs, but more from like studying and talking with people and even you know getting a coach and stuff like that, which will. Just Are the programs the not there yet for mixed games, or is it more that? Uh, not that I know feel of. is more valuable in those um, oh definitely not that feel is more valuable in those but but um, I, I would just say there's no it's programs aren't developed as far as I know to the point where you know like some of the like PO solver and some of the no limit GTO solvers are mm -hmm. so I mean I would one day maybe there will be some programs and I'll I'll start using them but not that I know of too as of now most mathematical work that's get done gets done in those games, as far as I know, is people kind of like doing their own, own stuff. You're not the first person I've talked to that yeah. talked about solvers. Uh, a few others were embarrassed to even admit to it. Uh, but do you think you could even get to your level without them these days? I mean, oh, these days? If somebody was to start from I mean, scratch. I, I pretty much got to my level without solvers. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've made a few tweaks in the last year essentially using them but so yeah I mean I think it could it's just it's it's harder it's kind of like one of those things where it's like what's the fastest way to learn something and as you, like more efficient and better tools come out you can kind of learn the right way to mm -hmm. play faster and I mean even like solvers is it's it's funny like I mean I don't even care about talking about it because in my opinion it's like one of those things that like almost everyone knows about it. Exactly. And you know, and it's the elephant in the room no one wants to talk about. And really, if you don't know about it, then, or I mean, kind of another thing too is like using them the right way, which is what I'm about to say, is that solvers will spit out these answers sort of to spots, assuming that you put in the, the parameters correctly. And interpreting it does take like a little bit of good judgment and knowledge about the game because for one thing, like solvers will spit out like the answer to your range in a lot of spots is like a lot of hands are are mixed. Like it's saying, do you know, bet this like 70% of the time and check it like 30% of the time. And like, you know, most hand combos are like are mixed, like a lot of the time. You know, I mean, in there's just not that many like pure answers. So it's kinda like And if it is pure, you probably know it anyway. No, not necessarily, but, but I, I guess my point more with that is like, it's almost impossible for a human to like implement a mixed strategy, especially if you weren't at a computer like with, like maybe if you were at a computer with a thing and you saw, saw it, you could just use like a random number generator if you somehow had your range print out at every spot, which computers aren't fast enough to do right now. Yeah. You know, you could maybe implement it sort of, which would be pretty simple, but but if you just look at some ranges and it's like all these hands are mixed and you somehow try to take that away and you're playing live and you're like, oh, 
It just, it's too, our brains don't work that way. Yeah. We're not, you know, in fact, that's one of the reasons why I think, who is it? Like the Donger and all those guys are playing Liberatus right now. And it's like one of the advantages and heads up, no limit, hold them for sure that the bot will have over them is bots can like perfectly implement, you know, a mixed strategy. Yeah. They have the stats of how often they've done X versus Y in this spot so they can stay yeah. balanced. Or when they like, boom, yeah, they take a turn spot and they're like, oh, this hand's supposed to be like 70-30 and whatever, then they just, they do it 70-30. Exactly, whereas a human's just guessing. Yeah. You're, estimating you're what Not the... only are you estimating in the moment, like if it's mixed or not, and if so, how much, which is an estimation, and then yeah. you've got to try to say, oh, well, okay, well then, how am I doing the random number generation? I just, it's a very hard thing for people to implement. So I think when you play, most people, I'm not saying every single person, you need to look at solvers and try to take away other things from the hand. Like, like who's flop, who's flop, uh, whose range is ahead on this flop? What does that mean about how I should play it? What is the bet sizing that seems to be preferred and why do I think that is? Uh, you know, what type of hands am I betting and then bluffing down with? What type of hands am I tend to not bluff or give up with? And certain things like that. And then once you take away those things, I think it helps. You, it can help you like use the solver a lot more. Were you were you drawn to poker because of the math behind the game? I assume you you picked it up at Stanford. That's where I really kind of yeah started playing more. It wasn't the first time I played. I actually played with some buddies in high school, but like super infrequently. But yeah, I was drawn to kind of like a lot of things about it. So first. I loved playing games, mm -hmm. like, you know, video games, strategy games, whatever. And so I was drawn to, um, you know, I went down a Counter-Strike hole my first year yeah. in college. Yeah. Like after the girlfriend thing, then I played Counter-Strike all year. <laughs> I mean, like very seriously. I was serious about my Counter-Strike. I was probably the most serious at Stanford University. And I can't say that about every college because like, but... Almost nobody I, I played with at Stanford was any good and played a lot of Counter-Strike. They were too, like, focused. I, you know, it's like I talked to friends from high school or people who went to, like, you know, less rigorous colleges. And they were like, yeah, we had, like, land parties and played Counter-Strike all weekend. And I was like, yeah, that was like me. And I didn't know anyone else doing it. So <laughs> it was me by myself. <laughs> so, but, um, but... So I was just always loved games. But, you know, at some point it was kind of like, well, maybe I'll quit playing Counter-Strike because... It's really not doing anything for my life and I, you know, so I'm going to stop and like focus on school for this next year. But yeah, it's like once I started playing poker, it was kind of like, great, well I can play a game that's really complicated and fun, mm -hmm. you know, like chess or like whatever, but, uh, but I can make some money at it. Yeah. There's it's, a goal that makes sense. Yeah. So it was like something I could get out of it. So it's like I had a clear like benefit from playing poker. It was like making money. And I mean, I pretty much started making money from, I mean, the first summer that I took it seriously, you know, I made like 20K. Starting playing Limit Hold'em in casinos and like no Limit Hold'em on the internet. Oh, wow. It was a fast progression. Yeah. And so, and I mean, you know, I just reading books, like playing poker, you know, I had a couple friends, high school friends who would go with me sometimes to the casino back, back in Poway. You know, and uh, <laughs> and so it became a little little like group activity on the weekends that we would do. And were you like running the math yourself, 
on on certain spots or did Not you really? just look them up? More just like, I mean, playing limit hold'em, it was like I was reading stuff in books. So, I mean, a lot of it was more like the logic of how, like first, kind of, I was taking a lot of precepts about what hands I, books that I was supposed to be playing. Starting and hands. Good. Yeah, and, and then. I think Lee Jones had the, the limit hold'em book that was at the one, time. That was one of my, I um, think that was one of the best books for me starting out. Small Stakes Hold'em by, uh, what was it, Ed Miller? Uh, I didn't read that one. I read the Lee Jones, I read a couple Sklansky books. He, Sklansky had like a hold'em for intermediate players or mm. advanced players. He had, you know, Theory of Poker. There were a couple other books, one or two, like some Pot Limit by Bob Ciafoni. Those were some of my start out books. Did you read the, the, the Caro's Book of Tells? I remember being I really drawn to that book because I thought poker was all about like finding the guy who's twitching and reading his soul. You know what I mean? I was so obsessed with live. I tells. did, but I kind of always felt like I never <laughs> got that much out of it, uh, and like just playing poker, you know, made sense to me. So I tried to focus more on. I so cards. badly wanted poker to be like the movies. Yeah, just like <laughs> Teddy KGB's like twisting an Oreo cookie. You know. You know, I think there are probably some people who definitely get more out of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people that have a very quick like intuitive feel for like what someone else is feeling i mean um, there are a couple like tried and true so, tells that are like just yeah. always work against certain people like what my favorite one is uh it's small stakes players one two you know whatever people who when the flop comes out they immediately glance down at their chips like really quick yeah. that's almost always because they hit the flop otherwise yeah. they wouldn't care how many chips they had behind yeah. You know, like that one's pretty true most of the times. But if I saw you do it, I wouldn't read too much into it. You yeah. know what I mean? Although, it's just one of those things you maybe you shade it a little bit. I mean, tells are sh- you're shading, you know? Mm-hmm. You're shading what you think about, oh, you know, what types of hands does he have? You know, I mean, even good players sometimes, like, very practiced players, like, subconsciously do something quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, those type of things, like things that happen immediately and fast are oftentimes the best tells. Like not when someone's been sitting there. Yeah, when your body betrays over. you and you can't yeah. help it. So, because uh, especially in like a long session, um, you know, there, everyone has moments where they're just like a little distracted and, mm-hmm. and they're all like maybe I was like on the, I'll be on the phone, the flop will come out. I'll look and then I'll, you know, I'll look down at my chips, but just cause I was like, I'm not really in the mode. Like I'm playing this hand. Exactly. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm setting everything. <laughs> even the be best are guilty. even killed, <laughs> killed. So I was distracted. And so I, I do something in a distracted state of mind that would be different than a focused state of mind. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it happens, happens to everybody, but yeah. So like, uh, 2011 was the big year. Where, where Brian Rast arrived on the scene, right? You'd was been it, a, was a good year for me. You'd been around, it. obviously, but that yeah. was the year you hit two bracelets, including the 50k. Do yeah. you feel like, uh, and that was also the year of your the start of your streak? Because congratulations, you're now the only person to do it. What six years in a row of seven figures or more? Uh, yes, I believe that's true. Yeah, because Daniel didn't yeah. do it last year. I think Daniel only made like 350k last year, so. There we go. Uh, that's that, that's I, the answer to the trivia question. Yeah. That, Who holds uh, the longest I, I, streak? I, I knew that. Because this, well, the streak was made aware. Someone wrote an article about this going into, going into 2006, 
or 15 maybe or something. Okay. And there was like four of us who had done four years in a row. And then in 2015, Daniel and I did it. And then I guess I last And that tied Eric Lindgren, who had yeah, done it like four. a few years earlier. So, I mean, it's um, it's like a cool streak. and But, you know, it's, it's not... It's definitely harder to do it back when Eric Lindgren did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays there's like enough high rollers that, uh, you know... I mean, there's actually a chance... That um, if I have a bad year in tournaments this year, that I I might not get it because I'm, you know, like the I, I didn't go to Aussie Millions this year. I, I've never been a big tournament traveler, but um, yeah, I, I don't. Really you said that on. last year, by the way, because just to remind you, we talked yeah. last this not this past December, but uh, two Decembers ago, the last time you were on the card player cover. And you said yeah. the same thing. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. I don't play that many tournaments. Last and year, then you went ahead and won the 50K again. Last year, I did go to Aussie Millions, though. <laughs> and I did, you know. But, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, the thing that the thing that really helps with it, even not traveling now, is these Aria high rollers. Yeah. They're, every month, there's like 50, 75K or something worth of action, and they're rebuys. So it's like... And you've done well. Rolls, it would, yes. I mean, I've done pretty well. I mean, I haven't been one of the, the, I mean, might need to rename it to the Tom Marchese Invitational. Tom Marchese. Tom Marchese's done super well in them. But, um, With Kerry Katz permanently slotted for Kerry third Katz, place. Kerry Katz has done well. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I had a cold streak in them last year for a while, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I played it for a decent amount of last year. I mean, not during the summer, but I mean, I didn't cash in any of them until late. And then like later in the year, I had a couple like nice caches in them that probably... I mean, basically got me even on those for the year. I mean, the, the, the buy-ins rack up in that. I mean... No, that, I, I think you yeah. cashed for a little over a million in those. In those oh, yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and then the other... But, I mean, the thing is, I probably had a... Yeah, maybe I had a million dollar worth of buy-ins in those. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, even in the ones I won, take like the 100K, so that's 100K, and then, you know, 25. But there was some 25s and 50s. Some of the... I, there were times I was probably in like three or four buys in a couple of the 25s. Yeah. And, you know, there I probably played like 15 of them or something. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. So you're talking like probably 800K, at least in buy-ins, and 25, yeah. a couple 50K. It adds up. Well, let's so, talk about your 2016 because 2015 was obviously the best year ever because, you you know, super high roller yeah. bowl. You can't beat that score, right? But then 2016 didn't start off great for you. No. Uh, bad in bad first three months in cash games too. It was a it was a decent sized downswing for me. I mean, uh, maybe my biggest net dollar downswing, not my biggest mm-hmm. percent. I mean, uh, downswing, but but yeah. And we and we don't have to harp on it, but there was also the fight that didn't go well to start off the year. The fight. I mean, that that maybe that kicked off the whole thing because yeah. that's really around when the downswing started. You you versus Sorrell. You versus Sorrell. So, it didn't go your way. It did not go my way. Uh, I don't know if you talked about it post-fight or anything like that. Yeah. But. Actually, I, I just, for the first time in like a year, I just had a boxing workout yesterday with the guy who I was training with for that fight. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I haven't been working out, so I'm just going to call over uh, Jason and get in like just a workout here at boxing. So after the fight, you were just like, I need a break. Oh, yeah, I didn't do any boxing last year. Yeah. No, I, I mean, uh, I did some biking. Mm-hmm. I got into biking. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so you lose the boxing bet. 
you you're losing in cash game because I do remember some I do remember you posting something maybe it was a tweet or a Facebook post or something like that saying that the bike bet got you even for the year. Oh, the bike bet helped a lot. I mean, I, I was stuck a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it wasn't just one bike bet. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the bike bet. There because were obviously, three bike bets. Yeah. I actually wrote about them on my. Go to brianrass.com. Mm-hmm. Go to my blog. For the lazy illiterates, two. can you sum it up? Yeah. So there were three bike bets. The first one was Dan Bilzerian's bike bet. Mm-hmm. And now I actually bet more on Dan than I'd ever bet on a prop bet or anything before. Like a couple hundred thousand or something. You were, you were sure Dan was going to do it. I mean, I, Dan's like my buddy, mm-hmm. so I was talking to him. Dan Bilzerian, everyone knows him. Okay. And it was just like, wow, he has two months to train to do something that, like, I mean, yeah, it's, like, super tough, and it's, like, definitely going to be really hard and grueling, but, you know, like, if you're going to, like, make it, like, your mission with two months of training, I'm like, can he do this? And, and he could... This ended up being a controversial thing, but like talking to him, he was like, "Yeah, like I, I can draft," and that ended up becoming controversial. Yeah, but yeah. I seemed remember. to think that he could do it, and that's why he did it. So I'm like, "Wow, like I think this is just like a great spot." So I mean, I bet you know whatever. He's obviously a physical specimen. He's in great shape, right? He's not really. He is in good shape, but it's not really the kind of shape that necessarily translates to biking. He's bulky. He's bulky. Yeah. He's shorter. You know, uh, but here's the, I don't I don't know Dan. I haven't I haven't talked to him for more than thirty seconds in my life. Yeah. So I don't I don't know you. You obviously know him better than I do. But I would be so worried that this guy has so much money that he might get halfway through and be like, this isn't even worth it. Who cares? Yeah, but Dan's like, I mean, Dan's still. It's more than that. I mean, like he made this bet. It was public. Everyone knows about it. I mean, he just looked like a huge wuss. You know, if he just bailed out halfway through. Because it like, was hard. Because it was whatever. hard. Yeah. I mean, that's like even against his whole, like, persona. Yeah. You know, like, uh, balls to the wall. You know, I mean, shit. He'd look, that'd look really bad for him publicly. But, I mean, also, like, even though he does have a lot of money, Dan's, like, the type of person that still, uh, you know, doesn't like losing and likes winning. And, yeah. You know, just even just having played with him in poker games. And, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's not, like, make or break money for him. But... You know, it's it's at six hundred whatever. Plus, he had some side action. He probably had almost a two million dollar swing between what it winning a million or losing a million. Yeah. So I mean, that's like. So you benefited. So uh, I just felt like, and and the other thing is, while this is a really difficult task, to me, with two months of training, it seemed like a task that, like, basically barring an accident or some kind of crazy injury, he seemed like a massive favorite. Two months of training with Lance Armstrong. I mean, Lance helped him like once or twice. Does it Lance matter? was not his the PR, like. The PR alone on that one was yeah. was was, was yeah. worth it. Was worth flying Lance in. For those so who don't know, he, that he what what was the terms of that? So he rode his bike from Las Vegas to Los Angeles in thirty six hours. No, he did it in like thirty two hours. Thirty two, but, but he had forty eight. He had so forty eight. Smoked it. Yeah, like it wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was a great bet. So then how did your bet come up where you had to re- re- basically repeat the same yeah. thing? So, so I had to do this, but no drafting and no training. Mm-hmm. So I had made this other bet uh, to do – I had a bet. I was in a, the big bet mix poker game. I made a bet 
I had to bike 280 miles on a course of my choosing. Couldn't really be downhill. So I picked going south on Highway 1 in California. I had to leave in like four days. I, I could train in the four days, but like how much training can you really do in four yeah, days? Yeah, you just exhaust yourself too. Yeah, so like, you know, I, I, I could basically get used to the bikes, maybe do like one day of like real training or yeah. something uh, before. And then, um, and I got laid 10 to one. So but this was no drafting and no training, you know, but I could choose the route, which ended up actually, in my opinion, that was like a massive plus yeah. on my side. And so someone talked him apparently talked to the guy that I made the bet with and he got really scared and like bought out for like actually like a pretty decent number. So then I won that bet and, and, and to tr do that bet, I gave Dan 25% of the action to basically be my coach, set me up with everyone that he was working with mm -hmm. and uh, like take care of everything. Like I used his orange recumbent bike, which you can see a picture of on, you know, my website when I wrote the blog and just like, I had everything, I didn't have to worry about anything. This, he was just going to basically tell me what to do and, um, and that's it. And, you know, so when we bought out of that bet, he came over to my house two days later on like Saturday, the day I would have had to ride on the Pacific coast highway. And we had a little barbecue over here. And basically he like came over and he had a little bit of an ax to grind. Because like I was saying, I was like, man, Dan, because even for the buyout, which was like a decent, like we got like a decent buyout, you know, it was so, like over 40% of like the total I could have won. Wow. I mean, so this was guy like, was really scared. Yes. When I was late 10 to one, but Dan, and I was like, Dan, and I was telling Dan, I'm like, Dan, I think that I'm just telling you, like, I'll take this buyout, but, uh, cause Dan and this, and the coach kind of thought like I should take the buyout and whatever. And I'm like, I'll, I'll do it because for social lubrication reasons, get paid instantly. I don't have to do anything. I was playing poker with this other guy and that, that would keep him happy because he yeah, really yeah. wanted to buy out. Yeah. So I'm just like, yeah, I'll just take the buyout. But I'm like, Dan, I'll tell you, like, I think that I'm giving up equity in buying out. Like I, I believe you thought you were a lock. No, but I'm like, I think I'm definitely over. Like, I think I'm over 50% to do this. Like, I think, I, I think I am because in the training, I had gone out on the recumbent bike and the first two days, like, like Tuesday and Wednesday, the two, like the two days when I, I didn't do anything hard. I, I think he bought out on Thursday, but I was going to like just recover a little bit. But on Tuesday I rode like 20 miles on the recumbent mm -hmm. and on Wednesday I rode like 30. Yeah. And after the 30 mile ride and I was like, while I was getting the massage, I'm like, damn, I'm like not even that sore. Yeah. And like that day I was like, there was some wind, it was out in the red rock and but I'm like, you know what? I think I can do this. So like, I had no fucking idea when I made the bet. I was just getting laid a huge price and I was going to give it a shot. But after riding 20 and 30 miles and I'm like, so you, know you got confident and then Dan said, wait, wait, wait. So like, yeah. So then that weekend he's like, oh, you idiots, you and my brother, you guys think this is so fucking easy. Yeah. Like I bet you can't do it. But of course, <coughs> you know, he shifted it a little bit to not be the ride I was going to do. Mm -hmm. He shifted it to be the ride he did. He did. Yeah. And, but like no drafting, uh, <laughs> you got to leave tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, and here, chug like, these 12 beers tonight. <laughs> and, and, you know, I knew that there were like some differences, but the thing is like, I kind of wanted to try it. Like mm -hmm. after I accepted the other bet, you know, I, I had started psyching myself up. Cause it's you, like, you a, didn't get to go. You're disappointed. Yeah. It's an under, 
it's like a mental like preparation thing yeah. almost. You're, I was kind of like, I'm gonna do this. Like I can fucking do this. <laughs> uh, and then when we bought out, I was kind of like, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. And Dan was, you know, it's one thing to say like, oh, I would have done. So what that. did you get laid on that one? So then I got like six to one mm-hmm. on this one with Dan. Uh, and then like right after I accepted the bet, because I wasn't allowed to do any research. Mm-hmm. So Dan says he didn't look. He says he didn't know. But then right after I accepted the bet, we looked, or we called like the coach guy, and he like was like, oh, I looked at the wind map, and like you're gonna have like intense headwinds the next day. <laughs> you have like no chance of doing this. You need to try to get out of the bet. And of Man. course, they didn't let me out of the bet. They Dan's got weather.com yeah. on his phone. <laughs> Who knows? He says he didn't look. Okay. So he says he didn't look, but you know. So then I'm like, oh, let me buy out for like, I'll buy out for like five thousand. And he's like, no, Bill Perkins like already bought the flight. You can't cancel private jets, so you'd have to pay for at least the cover of the flight. Oh, it's like forty k. I'm like, yeah, yeah, not worth it. I guess I'm gonna do it. Yeah. I mean, I was only risking a hundred, so. Uh, um, so then, yeah, I was in. I had the the bike coach that Dan used on his thing. Nate told me. You have no chance of doing this. And I'm like, well, I can't get out of the bet. And he's like, well, I, I guess you got to give it a good old college try. <laughs> I will always remember that. Because it's like right after. The I'm guy like, yeah, who just. Fucking college try. What kind of college? That was a real try. That was the, a manly try right but there. But the guy who successfully coached Dan to do it was saying you had no shot. Said I had no chance. Yeah. That I could not do this. And I mean, here's the thing is like in the process of the next 24 hours before I left. I mean, I would start, I found the wind map that he was probably using online. You know, like I was like researching the route, like what times I should leave, when I should probably sleep. I was doing a lot of work on my own because, you know, I didn't have any coaches now. Yeah. I ended up getting like one guy named Bob that like Dan had done some rides with here. And, uh, and then like my family, like my wife and like mm-hmm. my friend Felipe and like Felipe and Bob were the ones who were like in the car ahead of me. Or not, it wasn't actually ahead of me, it was behind me, sorry. The car that was like behind me because I wasn't allowed to draft. So the car was behind me, but, and that was to prevent, you know, that was actually big because it prevented people from like side, siding yeah. me too close. Which, yeah. I mean, when you're on the shoulder of a highway, like. No, that's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. Yeah. So it's like, I wasn't really that worried about and it. And for those who haven't made the drive from Vegas to LA, there are huge stretches of nothing. Just nothing but desert. Ten miles between exits. So yeah, that's a brutal, brutal. But you did it. Yeah, no, that was. Uh, was I it close? That, I can't was, remember. It, it, it was close. The the wind that they were seeing on the wind map really, really made it hard on that that next day on on Sunday or whatever it was, and. Um, you know, I fought through it. I took a break in it. I, I had to go through it again in the evening and it died during the night and I made good time. But basically, I mean, uh, it, it made it close. It made it close. It made it tough. My, my, I started to have part, part uh, my, my left knee was starting to have real big issues about 60, 70 miles out. Like I had to get a compression thing. I got a cortisone shot on the road. Like a doctor yeah. met me on the road. Uh, like cordaid shot, like kept going. I was on like painkiller. <laughs> I took an Adderall because I hadn't basically hadn't slept much. I mean, it was like it. The whole thing was uh, it was intense. Yeah. And um, 
it was it, it was a cool experience. So I mean, really, I'm very glad I did it. I probably will not do that again. Yeah, you know. Uh, was, I'm, I, you I'm know, always listening to offers. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like the big bet, but I think the funniest one you told me about was the uh, the scooter ride to L.A. in a tuxedo. Yes. Yeah, no, that was many, many years ago. <laughs> that was, uh, my friend had a wedding and I was with, interestingly enough, I was with Dan at the dinner. Seems like these bets go off around Dan a lot. Yeah. And basically Dan really like, again, led the charge, was like, oh, I, I'll, get, uh, I'll put up 10,000 texted people to get like more money. Because <laughs> I said my number was like 13K. I was, this was like eight years ago, so... My number was a little lower. Yeah, before but, before you went on your uh, epic run. So, but yeah, I was like, well, I've got to go there anyway. And so uh, this was a wedding in LA. You were yeah. in Vegas, and the terms of the bet were that you had to ride a scooter and do it in the tux. A motorized scooter, a sit-down motorized scooter. Yeah, you weren't like a pushing yourself along. No. Okay, uh, a sit-down motorized scooter in a tuxedo. Yeah, and you have how many hours to do it? Just had to do it. It wasn't like... You just had to get there. Yeah. Just how much can we pay you to do this? Mm-hmm. But and didn't I you say something... It actually happened. Didn't you say something about how you tried to leave at night, but then you ended up going in the middle of the day at some or something like no, that? No, 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 That I did leave. I left at night. I mean, we were at dinner. I got home. I packed. I, this. I got it together with my friend's scooter. But, um, you know, I left during the night. And uh, But no, that one... That one I wiped out. Well, that one was different because... The car that my, my friend was driving, Dave was driving, didn't follow me like behind me. So it was like going and so and I was going pausing. stretches on the mile on the highway like by myself. And like <laughs> these cars were like trucks like, like right next to me and the wind and I was just like freaking out. I'm like, holy fuck, if like one of these truck drivers is like falling asleep at the wheel and drifts off and hits me, I'm just done. Yeah, you're dead. So I'm like, this is stupid. Like, I do not want to risk my life for like $13,000 hoping that, you know, for the next 10 hours, like no truck drivers or people like swerve and hit me because I had no protection, like on the shoulder. The shoulder's not even like a car, like not even really like a solid. No, car. you can't, you, you could barely fit a bicycle. Yeah, it's like a bicycle <laughs> lane. So I'm like, okay, this is, so then we started going like the off-road through the like Mojave Desert and stuff. <laughs> and uh, you know, there was like some stretches with gravel and uh, I'm not an experienced scooter rider, and I was like feeling my oats a little too much maybe, or just wasn't aware, and I, I just took one of the turns without slowing down enough, and the thing just slid out, and I mean, it wasn't like a, a bad accident, but basically I was you know, going like 25 or whatever it was, and yeah. just like slid, tumbled over gravel, and just tore cuts, messed up Tuxedo ruined. Tuxedo ruined, scooter basically ruined, Although it, it was it was still drivable, but it needed serious repairs. Yeah. But I you know I drove it for many more hours, and uh, me cut up. My 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 friend Dave like laughing out of the truck. Bro, are you okay? <laughs> At least he was with you during that yeah. stretch. So it could have been worse. That, that was interesting. All right, so let's get into some uh, some quick questions here. Yeah. Uh, can you tell tell me about the biggest or most important pot you've ever won? Whatever that means to you. Yeah, the biggest pot was... I was playing in... I think like 2K, 4K, No Limit Hold'em Blind game at the Aria with Chairman. 
and he folded him in the small blind, and he raised, and I raised the big three bet the big blind with kings. Sorry, is the chairman somebody that everyone should know? He's <laughs> just a legendary gambling character from China. We'll okay. Put it that way, and um, he, the flop was like. So you three bet the big. Yeah. And he just flats. It was like jack seven four. Okay. With a flush draw with clubs and I had kings with the king of clubs and he checks, I bet, he check raised. And we were deep. Like we were like one one point five effective. So, you know, you're talking like we were like four hundred big blinds deep to start. Yeah. Playing. So I mean the standard play here is to like call. And I was just like, you know, I mean Call to do what? Like call up probably and just fold not fold. on the turn. Just like call down. Call, call down. down. Call down. But I, I was like, I decided to re-raise on the flop just because uh, he check. He sometimes check raise like so wide, and um, I just wanted to push my equity. And I thought, uh, you see, this was Jack seven four two clubs. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, I re and but if I re raise, I mean, you can't really re raise and fold. You're kind of like, I mean, you know, he make I, I bet whatever 60, he makes it like 180. You know, I, I made it, it's not like I'm making it 500 and fo- or 40 yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. folding. I just have to go with it at that point. So, you know, I thought about it and I re raised, and then he just like snapped one all in. <laughs> oh, God. And so, I mean, I, it's not like I sat there, I pretty much just like snap called. Yeah, because there's so many times he's got nine, ten of clubs or something. Well, something right? it, it's just, you know, I mean, he was like pretty wild mm-hmm. player. Like, this is not like the standard play I would normally make against most people, but I just felt that, you know, I wanted to push my equity versus him. And So this you know, is what, he, a $3 million pot? Yeah, basically. And then um, he... I kind of like it was a pause because it's like every it's like the huge money in the dealer's not just gonna just like bang out the cards right they yeah know they know like, better right? <laughs> like is there gonna be a deal or how many times are we gonna run it so is someone's gonna buy insurance? I obviously wanted to run it more than one time uh-huh. uh, so I kind of like looked at him and he doesn't really speak English but I'm just like two times you know gave him like the two signal uh-huh. and then he like he was th- you could tell he was thinking about it a little bit so he sat back. Uh, he kind of like looked, then he like looked at me, just like held up one finger. <laughs> so then I just, uh, so then. Wait, wait, but what, what did he even, have? Well, we don't even know at this point. No one wow. has exposed oh, so, their hands. So I mean, I can tell have. you. Okay, yeah. But we're going to keep the suspense. Okay. So the dealer doesn't even deal. So then I, you know, I, I look at the dealer and say, okay, one time you can deal. So then the dealer deals and it comes like, uh, it was jack seven of clubs and like a four. And so it paired the four, but not mm-hmm. a club, and then it came like a nine. Okay. So that's I have a pretty big hand. That's a good run out. Yeah, unless he, unless he already had me beat. With, well, even if he had jack seven, I'm winning. So unless yeah, he, yeah, he could have gotten counter. Unless he had a set mm-hmm. aces, which is unlikely, or eight ten of clubs, or four x of clubs. Like I have the best hand, and that's yeah. not that many hands. Like <laughs> when you hear what hand he has, you realize like there's a lot of hands. So he doesn't do anything. He's just sitting there. So, but he's like, he was the one to go all in and he's out of position. Yeah. So he's supposed to show his hand. But, so I'm sitting there for like a couple seconds and I'm just like, I know he's like a notorious slow roller. 
And the last thing I want to do really is like show my hand and get slow rolled for like the biggest pot I've ever played. Right? Like that would hurt a lot. That would be so brutal. <laughs> so three million in the middle but, and you're just like kings. And then he's like ace four clubs. And I'm like, ah, so anyway, so, but he has, you know, it's been a couple seconds and he hasn't shown his hand and I'm just like, well, he, this is like not a situation where I want to piss him off. Yeah. Okay. This is like kind of like a VIP, whatever. If he slow rolls me, I just got to deal with that pain. And I mean, I actually would have been busted in that. That was like, when I bought into this game, I bought in, like I brought like one point, I brought like 1.4 to the table or 1.3. <laughs> so this is your starting stack. And I, I like the buy-in was like 300K or something. Mm -hmm. So I put three or five, 400K or something like that. So I put 400K in front of me. Mm -hmm. And like I was told through the translator or whatever, he's like, no, you got to put on <coughs> like two buy-in. You got to put in like 800K because like, and so I was like, so when I put on the 800K and like one hand later, I just looked and it was like, I had like a buy-in left. So I'm like, oh, I might as well just put on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So I put on the whole thing and I was up like a sum, you know, and then this pot. So I was, you know, maybe in 1.2, I was up to like 1.5 or a little more and then boom, this pot. Can, so I, then, can I just stop you for one second? Yeah. How does one get $1.5 million to a casino? I mean, Is you know, it just I, a bank wire? Is that how it works or? Well, this was in Vegas. Oh, okay. So I, I thought this was in Macau. My and, bad. And, you know, like people took pieces and yeah, stuff yeah. and whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> money magically appears at casinos. I don't know how it happens. Exactly. So, uh, um, but. So three million in the middle. Yeah, there's three the million board's in the middle. out. And the board's out. You don't know if you He's want. not showing his hand. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, I don't want to piss him off. Because in, in all reality, I have a pretty big hand. Yeah. I probably have the best hand, I think. And so I just like turn over my hand and I'm like really hope. I'm like, you know, it's like the suspense. Yeah. So then he's sitting there. He like holds God. his hand up, which doesn't mean anything. Just like cards in front up. of his face. Ugh. But then like I kind of really get the feeling that he can't beat me. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then when he like shows some other people the cards, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm good. I'm pretty sure this is not This is brutal. Role. He's showing other people. Yeah. So then. Let then you he, off the hook. Then Jesus. he mucks. And now I'm like, okay, yes. now I think I'm safe because this would just be like the craziest, like it can't slow roll anymore. The cards are in the muck. Yeah. So then, um, so then, you know, like I win the pot and just, we keep playing and I find out like, uh, a little bit later when, you know, he left the table or after the session or something that people, people who saw his hand said he had five, six offsuit. So you just an open ended straight draw. He just had open ended straight draw. That's it. Ooh. Six high. That would that would have made the beat so much worse. Oh, if, yeah. If I had if that was a bad beat, yes. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> right. It would have that would have been really really tough uh, there because you know I'm probably what he's got eight outs and also I could win on the runner runner flush if he hits a club and another club came so yeah, it's probably like seventy thirty but like for yeah. a you know, massively big <laughs> pot so that that was the biggest but most important pot. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one against Phil. The one against Phil Helmuth, where he had the eight two of diamonds or whatever, and I had the king queen, and it was nine ten jack. I mean, that was that was a pretty important one. I mean, I feel like in terms of in terms of my recognition in my poker career, that was the most important. Yeah. Because like, if I don't beat Phil Helmuth, 
you know, I don't win two bracelets that summer. I won yeah. the unimportant bracelet that no one cares about, not the 50K. I don't later have two 50K titles like I have yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. So maybe the eight deuce of diamonds against Phil. I feel like that really, um, you know, that was, I, was it the last year? I think it might have been the last year when it was all Hold'em. So like that was broadcast on ESPN. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of people got to see me. So that, I mean, in terms of my poker career, it was probably that one. And that was like a, uh, I mean, I was a favorite, but that was like, we were pretty close in chips. Yeah. So no, that was, was for the tournament. That was for the tournament. Yeah. You know, like if I had lost that, I would have been, you know, a nub, a nub against a massive stack and had, you know, no chance to win. So, so that, that one's maybe the most important in terms of my like poker career. Yeah. Well, do you remember the worst bad beat you ever put on anybody? No. 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 It's all good. Can you talk about your... Uh... I don't. I don't even remember. I don't even remember, like, the worst bad beat I've gotten in, like, a big pot. I do... I, one time I played Limit Hold'em, and I, I do remember that someone hit runner, runner... I think I had, like, top set, and someone hit a runner, runner, under set in order to make... Quads. And, quads. Yeah. In a limit hold'em game, which isn't even like. Perfect, perfect is statistically the hardest. It's basically the hardest. Beat. And I, I, that happened, but I don't even remember the exact hand or anything. <laughs> I mean, it was many years ago. That's good. It means you can shake it off pretty fast. Yes. Uh, what was your first big live tournament? Do you remember? Wow. What, what, what's big? That's the, that's the whole point. Yeah, what's well, big point to you? For some people, it's their first 10K or it's the first main event because of all the people. Or for some people, it was the first $100 tournament they put up. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, man. I'm old now, so 35. I mean, we're talking a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I mean, m maybe it was like the first year I played in a World Series of Poker tournament. You know, I don't know had I played anything big before that. I mean, really, early in my career, I did not play many tournaments. You know, maybe my first 10K, I think the first summer I played at the World Series, I played the main event. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I lost that summer at the World Series. I remember I came, that was, that was the summer right after, like I dropped out of college. Uh, so maybe it was, it was 04, 05, and I stayed up there for like the spring. Then I came down, I think I went to the World Series that year. And um, I think I might have played like, I played mostly cash. I might have played like one or two tournaments and mm -hmm. a couple tournaments and I probably played, and I think I played the main. I just... But you don't have, don't like, any distinct memories of putting up 10K and, like, feeling the nerves or whatever your first tournament. I guess you were grinding cash already at the time, right? Yeah, I mean, the tournaments for me for a long part of my career were, were like, kind of just a side thing I was doing. Mm -hmm. Not, like, anything serious. Almost like something, you know, I was trying to win, but it wasn't really, like, the yeah. main thing I was playing. So, I mean, I remember that first summer I played the main... I don't know. See, the thing is, I can't remember if I satellited it in or put up the 10K. Okay. But I, I do remember the first summer I played the main, it was like the only time, I think it was the only time since this year, or I guess last year now, I think the first summer and last year were the only times I went out on day one. 
Oh, really? But I did go out on day one the first year I played. I remember I got kings to aces in like the second or third level. Yeah. And I was short. And I <laughs> battled and I battled and I like built it up, built it up some, but I finally you know, get kings. Last level of day one, I, I went out, you mm-hmm. know, on whatever, some hand. But like, uh, I mean, I do remember that. And I remember that just being like the cap to like a frustrating summer. Yeah. I came to Vegas, like the dream. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my first World Series. I'm here, this, and then. And Even when it doesn't go well, well, at least you have the main. <coughs> at least yeah, you have the main no, event. No, there was no like, was not a storybook first year. <laughs> I lost money overall. I went, you know, I went back to Poway. I lived with my parents for like the next year or something. You know, I'd travel some to like LA yeah, commerce yeah. and to play poker, but. You know, I'd stay at home. I was playing. I, you know, I, I made some money. But, yeah, no, there's no, like, storybook tournament thing for, like, a long time. In fact, actually, I did go through a period, like, shortly after I moved to Vegas a couple of, like, two years later. So maybe it was, like, three years later where I had a downswing. And then in the, like, January, first couple months of some year, and you can look this up on, on a site online. Like, I, I played, like, a decent amount of online Sunday tournaments. And I had a stretch where I was like doing very well. Like I mm-hmm. started to try to learn some tournament theory. You know, I, I got some books, talked to some people, and and uh, was, you know, improved my tournament game some. Yeah. And after that, I played a little more tournaments live, but still didn't really travel much. Starting to have a little more success. Talking to starting to knock. You know, I was getting better. Mm-hmm. I knocked on the door. I had like a stretch before 2011. Where, and by this point, I was playing like high stakes poker. So, like, most of the tournaments I were playing were like 10Ks or like, I had, a, I was putting, you know, satellite to the 25K WPT. I played the 40K in Vegas. Oh, I remember the 40K, yeah. yeah. And I had a stretch where I was had, I had some close run ins in big spots. Yeah. Like, I, I got one of the years when the 25K was really big. I think the year Yevgeny won, like, I got seventh in like a massive pot, mm-hmm. ace king to kings. You know, like Yevgeny actually won Ace King to Kings like a little earlier than that to stay alive, but I, I lost the Ace King to Kings in like mm-hmm. a kind of a stupid spot. It was like bet three bet and I four bet shoved Ace King. And like it was harder had been three betting Yevgeny like a decent amount. Christian Harder, recent PCA winner. And uh and so I four bet shoved mm-hmm. uh which is pretty standard, but um Yevgeny actually had the Kings as the initial raiser. Oh, wow. Which is like brutal. Yeah. Harder had, I think he actually had like ace something. So you so missed the like, TV final table. I did. Oh, brutal. I haven't been to it. I don't think I've ever been on a WPT uh, TV final table. And like that same year, I like got 11th or something in the 40K. Mm-hmm. I actually busted to the winner of that one as well. God, what's those guys? The uh, Lunkin. Vitaly Lunkin. Yeah, I had kings and he had pocket fives. Yeah. And he hit a five. And it was just like, oh, I was like starting to really knock on the door in some big spots. <laughs> and, you know, it was frustrating. But, you know, things worked, worked out. out. Number, number 10 all time for yeah. a guy who doesn't really consider himself a tournament guy. Recently, in the last like two or three, two years, mm-hmm. uh, 2016, 15, maybe even some of 14, I played a reasonable number of tournaments. Between like Aria stuff and the WSOP and going to a couple stops, you know, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 it's hard for me to say that anymore. Tournaments are a reasonable part of the diet, (laughs) you know, 
Uh, so who's the, the best poker player we've never heard of? So yeah, I'm going to give you two guys. Okay. So this is mostly in No Limit Hold'em, but also in PLO. There's a guy who, not sure if he qualifies today, but like a couple years ago when I was going to Macau, there was an English lad there named Andy Mosley. Okay. So who I thought he played really, really good. I love the way that he played. And uh, he, made a, he made a lot of money there, and he made a lot of money in poker in general online and stuff and whatever, and he's done well. But I think he's in, like, he's, like, working for, like, uh, what's it, one of the big sports booking operations in England or something oh, okay. now. And, like, you know, he still plays poker some, but it's not, like, his total main thing anymore. Yeah. So, like, I'm not sure if he's, like, really been studying super hard, and I haven't played with him much in a couple years. Yeah. But in my opinion, he was, like, absolutely one of the best, like, live, deep stack, like, no limit hold'em players. And, like, people don't really know who he is. Andy Mosley. I thought he played, like, super, super good. Andy I think gets the shout-out. Anybody who went, who went to Macau much would probably agree exactly with what I'm saying. And I think um, a couple really good... Uh, all-round players today that um, so one is Keith Gibson okay who's a good friend he's one of my best friends and uh, I want to give him a shout out because I I, he's a great uh, all-around poker player I think some people will know Keith is but maybe not as many who should yeah not as many who should like he's a he's a great all-around poker player and he definitely he doesn't play many tournaments at all and uh, I think uh, you know, he's one. And another guy who... No, that's probably it. I think, I think, I think <laughs> anyone, anyone else, else I would sucks. name is... Anyone else I would name is probably well-known. Yeah. I mean, there's some guys who aren't, like, like super famous, but, I mean, they're pretty well-known. Like, Thuritz is good. Andrew Mc- Mikhail Thuritz. Like, they're very yeah. well-known poker players. So, some, uh... Yeah. All right. So, then, uh... You're at the table. The dude next to you is super annoying. He's got to put the headphones on. What are you listening to? Uh, I have a... A poker playlist? The two main things that I listen to when I play poker is I have a SoundCloud poker playlist that I've made that I listen listen to a lot in the last year or nine months or I don't know, however long I've been since I made it. And uh, it's mostly like electronic music. Okay. It still hasn't gotten totally stale yet, but <laughs> I have gone through this thing a lot. Um, it, I think it's very, very good. And the other thing is sometimes I listen to just some like random classical music, mm-hmm. um, especially if I really... To keep you off tilt? No, just... Um, I don't like listening to music with words, really. Or if it's like, you know, sometimes techno music has like a few words, but it's just not important. With just the repeating same. the same thing over yeah, and over so again. Like, but I don't want uh, like lyrics, like actual lyrics where someone's trying to say something and convey meaning through. Because then the your lyrics. brain focuses on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I uh, the whole point of the music is more um, to kind of like get in like a focused, almost kind of like flow state where I'm. This just, is a like, bad habit. What I'm doing. But I do, I do a similar thing with TV at night to fall asleep, where yeah. I'll, I'll listen to a show that I've heard a thousand times, and that just kind of hypnotically oh, puts yeah. me to sleep. It's terrible for me. Yeah, you know they say, but <laughs> it's well, what I do. Apparently, have uh, you heard about the the blue light thing? You know, about no. The blue light? What's okay, the blue light? So, oh, is that the thing that slowly gets brighter to wake you up in the mornings? 
it, it, it's no. So blue light, which is like what comes out of monitors and sunlights and whatever, mm-hmm. and like most TV, like all TVs and everything, is uh, like similar to sunlight, and it like messes with your body's circadian like circadian yeah. rhythm and and just like sensory because it kind of makes you think it's like during the day. Okay. And so I've read a lot of stuff that um, at night, like I have on my phone, I have uh, you know at some point maybe it's already on. Like it starts the, it starts filtering out like some of the blue light, and so it looks like yellowish. Oh, okay. And your phone, like you, what is it kind of trick? I got an iPhone. Yeah, like go to settings. Okay. And go to display and brightness, and then done. You'll see night shift. Oh, I'm turning it on. So and you can set like the hours, and you can set like how, and if you go to it, you can set. Uh, well, I'm gonna enable the temperature, it. but you. See oh, when you I, enable it turned it? yellow. Yes. And so, and you can actually download a program like f.lux for your computer or your, uh, I don't have it on my Mac, uh, on my laptop. And so it does the same thing so that when you're using your monitors, you're not, you're, the light's filtered. So it's not keeping you awake. You know what this looks like? You ever put on a pair of HD visions? Those those cheapo sunglasses they sell on TV? No. Is that what it looks like? You ever seen the infomercial for HD visions? No. People's like, oh, it's so bright. And then like the whole, everything turns yellow. It looks like this. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, okay. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Filtering it out. Yeah, basically. So, like the yellow thing. Exactly. <laughs> but they're just cheapo plastic, you know, $10 sunglasses. I would, I would check this out. I mean, have you ever noticed it seems like you just, it's so much easier to stay up late, like in front of your computer monitor in front of, I mean, some of it is just. Oh, for sure. Light. It's not just that you're using your brain. Some of it's just the fact that you're like, you know, right? Because when I'm reading screen, a book, it's like a bunch of light. You read a book versus reading a Kindle. You, you're on a Kindle. You're gonna stay up a lot longer than if you're. That's exactly turning why. pages. Yeah. And it's not be. It's like either way, you're kind of like you could be reading the same thing, but it's just that yeah. you naturally get tired at night. That's where you're supposed to go to sleep. So, um, like one of the things in modern society is kind of like learning how to life hack some of that stuff to get you know to be more healthy so like with the meditation yep med- the, I'll tell you that I'm, I'm very thank you Dan Smith and uh, for recommending that I'm very happy with the him. very charitable Dan Smith as he's been yes. uh, known for in recent weeks that was a you know uh, I just saw today on a Twitter it also Looks like it just inspired Andrew Robel to like do the same thing. Oh, really? Andrew just decided to do a, a, a matching charity drive. So he just announced it today. See, guys, poker players give back. Uh, oh, th- this, one, this one I'm going to ask you just because you've played with the guy. There's only one Doyle right now, right? Doyle. Yeah. Yes, only There's one. only one Doyle. There's only one poker pro. I asked this of Scott Seaver in our last interview. Uh, who's going to be the Doyle of your generation? Assuming there's one, assuming only one of your of your group makes it to his age and is still playing in whatever the Aria or Bellagio is called at the time, who do you see? Do you think it could be you? Do you want it to be you? I think... I, uh... Hmm... <laughs> Maybe or will there Phil never Ivy? be another Phil Ivey? Yeah, maybe. I'm trying to. I'm, I mean, 
there's a lot of things that go into being Doyle. Yeah. Right. So some of it is like Doyle, very good poker player. This, but all you know, but also like he's loved. He played basketball. He like has always <laughs> loved betting sports. He played. Play, used to play a lot of golf. Bet a lot on golf. You know, Doyle loves like betting on everything. He yeah, he's just not. He's not just a poker legend. He's a gambling legend. legend yeah. yeah, and it's like I think Phil kind of more fits that bill. Like Phil, yeah, he's a great and accomplished poker player, but he's also like plays golf, bets a lot on golf, bets mm-hmm. a lot on whatever he does, kind of like Doyle, just like betting on everything. And um, so I, I bet mean, Doyle never rode his bike from LA to, to Vegas, though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what else? Like Phil. Strikes me that Phil likes, you know, Phil maybe he'll be playing into his old age, you know? Like yeah. he's already like 40. He may could do another 40 years. I mean, that's another thing too is like who's going to be playing poker? I mean, I think I'm always going to play poker. But I kind of wonder like, will I always play? I wonder how much to Doyle. I still play a lot, kind of. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I might be, a, I'm, I would say like I'm, a reasonably good candidate to be similar to Doyle in the poker mm-hmm. aspect of things of like playing a decent amount, like all the games, whatever yeah. anyone plays, like for a lot of money. But Doyle played but, college basketball and you were cut from your team in yeah, high no, school. Doyle's, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm no Doyle Brunson, but I'm just saying in terms of like playing into my old age, I got a shot, but I'm not nearly as like sick a gambler as Doyle is. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I've done some big prop bets. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, Doyle, like, you know, fire, like, you know, bet on the games, bet on the golf, like, a lot of action all the time. You know, having, like, a couple isolated prop bets here and there, I feel like is not, I mean, it's, yeah, it's okay, but not quite. Whereas I feel like uh, maybe Ivy's, like, a little bit, a little bit. Ivy's bet on everything. Yeah, more (laughs) of a bet on everything. So, but no, I, I mean, I like poker, and I've recently... It's like I've had enough success in like big spots in my career that I kind of feel that um, stuff like the Poker Hall of Fame and just like being remembered as one of the best poker players is like achievable, which is one of the reasons why I've kind of like recently gotten motivated and and kept playing tournaments. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, yeah, this is like a public thing that I can have that's kind of like, you know, I keep doing this along with, you know, playing the cash and it kind of keeps my name out there and you know can be like something that I've accomplished at some point. You know, well, I me, think my family, your first ballot. I think 5 years your first ballot lock, but that's just Do they me. have Oh, you mean as in first year? Yeah. First ballot, yeah. I Yeah, I think I think, I think so. you'll get it unless you happen to be the same age as like two other legends who are qualifying at the same time. But I, mean, I think you got a good shot. There's some people who a lot of it, we're all like different ages. Yeah, that's what like, I'm saying. Like Mercier and, and Seaver. Find out who's 35 like right now. Seaver's younger than me. I think Mercier no, might be younger than me. Jason's definitely younger. I think yeah. Jason's like 31, maybe 32. Yeah, like Antonio's like two years older than me. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's probably going to do it. So, I mean, there's a lot of the, it's like a lot of people are all yeah, kind of the people who I'd say are like, wow, pretty locky. Yeah. At this point, like younger guys. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I don't know. I, I mean... Five years from now, calling it. Yeah. You I, got my vote. I think... I get a small vote. And I will say... Mine. I will say, true, true story, uh, I, I will be a little 
I'll be a little hurt if, if I didn't make it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've accomplished enough, like just objectively speaking. Yeah. So, and I Tournaments still have five and years cash to go. games. Yeah. So, uh, you know, unless some. I'm going to just knock on wood and just end yeah, the conversation yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go any further. Yeah. All right. So, we end every podcast the same way with a question from a random yeah. question generator. Yeah. Whatever pops up, you got to answer it. Okay. That's the rule. So, that's just them's so the know, rules. Just so we can sweat in here. Just so I'm not. That's so boring. What do you do in your spare time? I'm not going to deal with that. You ride bikes across the country. Everyone knows in that. Spare time. I learn. I love science. I try to exercise and stay healthy. Now we're just. We're All right. Out. How about that one? Please. Oh, my favorite home cooked dish. Favorite home cooked dish. Yeah. So I'm assuming this is a Brazilian dish. Oh, let me think about that. <laughs> Maybe not. Let me think about that. Your wife's not here yet, so you don't have to insult her. Favorite home cooked dish. Are you a are you a cook? Do you like to cook? I'm not much of a cook. I, my wife says the few things that I throw together, uh, I she says I do a good job. Mm-hmm. I'm, she says, like, you make a good salad. But no, the truth <laughs> is, is I'm, if you make a good salad, you're not a cook. Yeah. So, what about uh, to cook a salad? Let me. Th no, I, I don't cook. My, my favorite home cooked dish. A bunch of people are coming Juliana, over. Juliana. Okay, so. What's your go to? My, one of my favorite home cooked things for sure, that's kind of like a Brazilian thing that uh, Juliana's brother actually does really well. Um, is our friend Felipe makes a really mean. So there's a Brazilian barbecue. They call mm -hmm. it churrasco. Yeah. And uh, our f favorite cut of meat, Juliana and me, like bar none. Like when we go to the places like Texas de Brazil, mm -hmm. whatever. Fogo. Via yeah. Brazil. Although Texas de Brazil is better than Fogo. I think Texas is the best. It's better than Fogo. Although none of these places. I feel like we're kindred spirits and you're going to yeah. say my favorite cut of meat. Because I'm one of those guys, what is everyone's that? who's like, let's go to Nine. Let's go to uh, Ruth's Chris. Oh, I'm, I'm like, why? For 60 bucks, you can get all you can eat at Texas de Brazil and it's excellent. What's your favorite cut? I'm a flank steak guy. But okay. with like a tonic chimichurri on it. <laughs> okay. Where I, I'm a picanha guy. I love picanha. So picanha is our favorite See, cut. I'd rather have that than like a filet mignon or so, something. No, I, you can... Um, I, I would definitely rather go. So I would definitely go rather go to Texas than most steak houses. Mm -hmm. I, there are like, I love cut. There's a cuts good. There's a couple steak no, places look, that are really are that great are places, but like, I'll tell you, and this is what I was about to say. Yeah. Texas de Brazil is not like the best picanha I've ever had. Not even close. Like well, there's places yeah. in Brazil that are a lot better. I've even had like, personally, I think our friend Felipe just does it better here or like Juliana's brother in Brazil. So, favorite home cooked meal, Felipe here, our friend, mm -hmm. and uh, my wife, a good friend of my wife and me, and uh, Juliana's brother in Brazil, make a really mean picanha cut, mm -hmm. just like at home, salt, like spices at home, on the barbecue, like, yeah. No, that's, that's up there. That's, that's the winner for me. Yeah. If, I, if I'm on death row, that, that's where I want to go before, <laughs> before, before I, I make the final walk, you know what I mean? So I mean, I'm even trying to think like what else, what else home cook that might. I mean, that's probably that's it. That's probably it. That's yeah. the winner, man. So anyway, you've made me hungry, and uh, I'm gonna let you go. So thank you so much for inviting me into your home. How long well, you you used to be a, a high rise guy, right? Yeah, I used to live in Panorama. But, yeah. 
Uh, I was just there for with uh, with Scott. Oh yeah, yeah. Scott, Scott Siever still lives there. Yeah. Into his place. Yeah. yeah he, he was telling me that Nick, not right him and Nick. Or uh, I don't remember if he had a roommate at okay. C1, but I I uh, I was asking him if there was still a lot of poker players, and he said that most of them had moved on. So really, yeah. You too. Moved out to the suburbs. See, I, see, I wonder if it's. I mean, definitely, maybe some have moved, but I wonder if there's like more like younger guys that yeah. have gone there that he just doesn't like. <laughs> the know. new generation has you moved know? in. <laughs> like you know the because Scott's you know he's getting up there maybe he's thirty now or something like that. Yeah. So I mean, once you start hitting your thirties, it's like oh, you get a wife, maybe you get a kid. <laughs> it's not. You know, you get dog. It's like house. Yeah. So the panorama is not really the the move anymore, but. I think maybe it's, I wonder how much of it is him getting old and how, or how much of it is like really poker players aren't going to Panorama anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a question for the ages. The eternal question. Brian, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That will do it for Poker Stories this week. Huge thanks once again to Brian Rast, who you can follow on Twitter at uh, Zar Rast. That's T-S-A-R-R-A-S-T. Uh, If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please.